All right, you ready for this? Ready. This is Tom Salemi. Welcome back to the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. This week, we'll be talking with uh, leaders from two very cool med tech companies, Fractal Laboratories and Kala Health. But before we do, I'm going to reconnect with my podcast partner, Chris Newmarker, the executive editor of Life Sciences at Mass Device. Chris Newmarker, how are you, man? Hey, doing well. Can't complain. Had a nice, uh, nice vacation uh, with the family at a lake in northern Minnesota, so... That's great. Well, you have the young kids, so are you in the lake all the time or uh, in the woods hiking or both? A lot of, lot of lake time. A lot of uh, four-year-old uh, learning the, the joys of uh, rowing a paddle boat. So it's a good time. Good time. Good times indeed. Yeah, making, making those memories. Yeah. So we often or always actually give our social media tags at the end of the podcast so people can find us there. And many of you do. Thank you very much for reaching out. But uh, we're going to give them at the top of the podcast because we're, we're going to roll out something a little differently next month or something new that next month, not necessarily different. Chris and I, we record these little intros on Zoom and it occurred to us, Zoom is actually designed to have a lot of people talk. So we're going to pick a date in September. And we're going to uh, set up our Zoom call like we normally do, but we'll share the invitation with many and any of you who'd like to be part of this conversation. We'll record our intro. We'll go over the uh, our top five list, which we'll, we'll hit upon in a second. But uh, we'll also would uh, love to hear from you. I mean, this has uh, been a one-way conversation for us, Chris. It'd be great, I think, to uh, hear from the MedTech community. Yeah, it'll be great. We can join the party and we can uh, have some more, uh, more viewpoints. So I'm looking forward to it. That should be great. Great. So we're going to... Uh, give you the information now. You can find us on LinkedIn. I am Tom Salemi. You can find me on Twitter. I am at MedTechTom. Chris, why don't you give your, your number, your, your info right now? You can find me on LinkedIn at Chris Newmarker, just like a new marker and on Twitter at Newmarker. So just uh, connect to us on LinkedIn and uh, we'll get your address there or send us an email via DM, uh, via Twitter, and we'll make sure you get on a list and get an invitation to Zoom call when we do uh, one of these intros in September. There may just be a handful of us, there may be a whole crowd, but uh, again, it's just be great to have an opportunity. I think this is something that we could repeat and uh, do on a, on a somewhat regular basis, certainly not every week, but uh, we definitely want to keep hearing from our, uh, our mass device and device talks communities. I mean, it, yeah, it's, it's always great just to like, you know, hear from our, hear from our listeners, hear from our community and, you know, versus just like two, two, uh, you know, medical device industry editors just like, you know, talking about what, what we think about what's going on. It's like, it's, a, it's always better to hear directly from the, the people who've got the expertise and the knowledge. Absolutely. Great point. Well, we're going to get into our uh, our top five stories. And Chris, you were on vacation, so I don't know if you listened to last week's podcast or saw my social media posts, but I have renamed this feature New Markers Newsmakers. Oh, my gosh. All right. How do you like it? I like it. Hashtag New Markers Newsmakers, which go. I'm finding is actually easier to type than it is to say. But here we are. Top five articles on Mass Device, a.k.a. Say it, Chris. New markers, newsmakers, or you know, maybe people will like do like an abbreviated form that would just be like, we made it to the NN, double N, <laughs> exactly, we double N this, That's right. we double N this thing, that we right? The 
The double news. Yes. Double so, news. news. Double news. <laughs> What's number five on the new marker newsmakers list? All right. Well, number five on the double news list is, <laughs> uh, you know, we've got a uh, got an exciting IPO, CureVac, Woo-hoo. Friday, more than, you know, $200 million raised. So, uh, you know, they're, uh, you know, they're developing a COVID-19 vaccine. So that's, that's some big money. You think there's a market there for that? Yeah, I don't know. You think? Yeah, I think. I think people would like to get a vaccine for this thing. That would be a, be a good deal. I, they might be onto something. So that's that's probably a, a good a good uh, product to have. And uh, number four, I'm very proud to see this on on New Market Newsmakers list. Yeah, this should be a familiar one to you, Tom, since you wrote it. Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. Uh, you know, this was about you know Avail Med Systems, uh, you know, telemedicine system, and uh, how. Uh, you know, this thing could be like a more efficient way for sales reps to sit on surgeries, which I mean, that's that's really important right now. Because- yeah, no, it, it was a good conversation with, with Dan Hawkins, who, of course, had been CEO at Shockwave. And he talked a bit about in our in our conversation and we'll hear more from him in coming months. But uh, he really saw an opportunity to um, create a product or, or help in the development of a product that uh, eliminated some of the inefficiencies in sales. So it's uh, it's. A cool system. I mean, it, I, I've I've heard of companies using or or surgeons using FaceTime with their medical sales professionals, and this just seems to sort of legitimize that model. What's interesting yeah. is he's actually going to give the equipment to the hospitals for free, and then charge companies a, a subscription for access to the to the operating room. So, oh, that's really interesting. I, that's a model I've seen more of. It, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to follow. So, so that's number five and number four. Now we're going to slip into uh, an interview that I had with Dr. Harith Rajagopalan and Lisa Davidson. She's the CFO and he's the CEO of Fractal Laboratories. Fractal raised a $55 million Series E, and I actually wrote about that for Mass Device as well. I'm, I'm a writing machine. I know. <laughs> I've been talking to Harith for a few years, so it was great to reconnect with him. But uh, Fractal is one of those medtech stories that I love. They're, they're creating a way to uh, denervate tissue in the intestine to, uh, to basically treat diabetes. To, it's, a, it's an interesting wow. connection, and, and Harith will, uh, will get into how the technology was developed, what the approach is, and equally interesting for anyone out there, you know, how they're, they're raising money and doing business during the COVID time. So let's hear from uh, Dr. Reith Rajagopalan and Lisa Davidson of Fractal Laboratories. All right, Harith Rajagopalan and Lisa Davidson, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Tom. Harith, you and I have spoken uh, several times on occasion, so it's, it's great to connect or reconnect, I should say. I'm guessing some of our listeners haven't heard the story. So briefly, could you give us just a little bit of history on Fractal, how you started and what you're trying to do? Sure. At Fractal, we're trying to develop a minimally invasive procedural therapy to reverse metabolic diseases that are caused by insulin resistance, like type 2 diabetes and nafld nash major metabolic diseases affecting tens, if not hundreds of millions of people around the world, all driven by modern lifestyles. And our approach is to perform an ablation of the lining of the small intestine with our Revita DMR system. And when we started the company nine years ago, I had been previously a cardiologist and a physician scientist at Brigham and Women's Hospital. And I saw a lot of people with type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease in my clinic. 
So I spent a lot of time thinking about these diseases and the link between these diseases. And we learn in school that insulin resistance is the common thread between type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease. But then when we start managing patients, we start worrying about blood sugar and type 2 diabetes. And we start worrying about the coronary arteries and cardiology. And we stop spending as much time thinking about how we can fix the underlying root cause. And I think that patients are patients suffer because of too much of an emphasis on what's happening as the end organ manifestation of these diseases and not enough of an emphasis on why this is actually happening and what can we do something to reverse the underlying process. So we, there were surgeons around that time who were reporting really remarkable outcomes from bariatric surgery. These are surgeries that were originally intended for weight loss. And we're finding that within hours, if not minutes after their surgery, patients were having a reversal of their metabolic diseases, including type 2 diabetes. There's just nothing that we learned in medical school that could possibly explain how a surgery that reroutes the intestine could possibly reverse type 2 diabetes. And that's when we started to really get interested in the gut and what's changing in the gut. Um, and that's maybe driving metabolic diseases. And, and you know, Tom, there's been a tremendous amount of emphasis in the past 10 years on the gut and its contribution to all sorts of diseases from type 2 diabetes to Alzheimer's and autism. And so I think people, are, we were just early in that wave of beginning to appreciate that the gut is really a fundamental driver of metabolic disease. That's a great point. And that's, uh, that's certainly is a fascinating area of, uh, of focus. I'm curious, you're, you're a practicing physician, took over, started the company, you're still running it nine years later. Is this path one you expected to be on for this long? I always thought I was going to be an academic cardiologist. And I think that the reason that I felt motivated to leave and to pursue this is because we be I believe that metabolic diseases caused by insulin resistance are actually the contributor of a majority of the morbidity and mortality of the 21st century. And we spent a lot of time worrying about patients' behavior and how their behavior is driving these diseases and not enough time really thinking about what is it that's changing in the body that's fixable. And so we thought that if we could be leaders in the science of the gut and how it's causing metabolic disease, and then leaders in the therapy, that that would provide an opportunity to make a really big impact. And it was the opportunity to have a big impact that really drove me out of my chosen path and into this uh, alternate reality. Do you, do you self-identify as a physician first or a, or a CEO at this point? About, I think, four years ago, I, I hit the inflection point. <laughs> Um, I was I was at a on the soccer field sidelines, and my son's soccer coach is a neurologist at MGH, and I was chatting with him, introducing myself, and I said, "Yeah, my wife is a physician at Boston Medical Center. She's a gastroenterologist." And I took a couple seconds, and then I said, "Oh, and and I'm a cardiologist." <laughs> But it, it it did not come to me immediately. So that's what I do. Something good shape. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, well, we're, we're here uh, to talk a bit about your financing. I'd like to, to talk to Lisa Davidson about, well, quickly, Lisa, how did you come to, to join Fractal? You've uh, worked at Flexion and Omnisonics. You've been involved with the industry for a time. Uh, what drew you to uh, to be part of Fractal's story? 
Sure. It's actually almost five years ago. Um, it, later this month, it will be five years, my anniversary with um, the company. Congratulations. Thank you. And I didn't have an intention of leaving Flexion at the time. I was employee number three there and helped see them through an IPO and a follow-on financing. But when I was introduced to Fractal and met Harith and Jay, um, what they were doing really resonated with me. And it stayed within a core thesis that I didn't realize till more recently. Um, there's a theme between the three companies that I worked for where they were fixing thing at the root cause. Each of the companies was doing um, local administration to um, uh, whether it was a therapy or pain relief, et cetera. And um, so it was really important to me, but I also have a history with my husband's family of type two diabetes. Oh. and getting to the root cause and making sure that patients were becoming healthier in the process, they weren't just managing their diseases, really resonated with me. And it seemed almost too simple. And the way Harith can articulate it, 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 it comes across that way. But it, it's one of those things that um, brought me to life sciences and research in general was um, connecting the dots and having those aha moments to really help patients. Amen. No, I agree with that. I love I love these classic med tech stories where you're actually, like you said, trying to get in there and fix something and, and fix it for good. Talk a bit about uh, the financing. How much did you, uh, did Fractal close on? I think you announced it last week. And uh, once we sort of get into a little bit of the details, I'd love to learn about the process of raising the money in this these odd times. Uh, so we raised $55 million in, in capital uh, with a new lead investor, and we did announce that last week. Our core and syndicate of investors participated as well, and we brought on some really top-notch new healthcare investors to the mix. So, And we have a very broad and diverse group of investors at this point that we believe believe in our philosophy and want to support us to see this through. Harith, you've been through a few fundraisers and I'd love to get into the sort of the, the nitty gritty about it with Lisa again, but uh, we'll talk a bit about the round, Harith, and what was this fundraising experience like? Every financing is unique and this is our Series E. And so we've been lucky enough to have done five major institutional rounds with new and lead investors coming in and um, and leading each of these rounds. Part of what we think is become has been really important for us is to be very clear about what we're going to do and then to be very clear about the commitments that we're making to our investors and the the faith and trust that they're placing in us has to be paid back in accomplishment. With the, as as in in a manner that is consistent with with what we set out to do, but we also like to, if possible, find new opportunities for value creation that we were not necessarily promising or anticipating. So what we found in our most recent financing is that we set out to complete the Revita two trial, which is our prospective randomized double-blinded sham controlled study in type 2 diabetes. And we were able to announce the successful completion of that study and the efficacy against a sham and safety compared to a sham procedure at the end of last year. But in addition, we were able to give our investors incremental data on our benefit against NAFLD NASH, as well as incremental data on the ability to help get patients off of insulin. And we found that that constellation of clinical profile from 
two different studies really augmented the overall profile of what Revita has to offer and really put us in a very good position to have a conversation with the FDA earlier this year about what our pivotal trial is going to look like, armed with a tremendous amount of evidence and clinical experience. So I would say that the financing was enabled by the fact that we had really strong data coming out of our randomized sham controlled sort of phase two equivalent study, but also the fact that in some of the other work that we did, we really showed the broader potential that Revita has. And I think that's what really resonated with people. Lisa, what about the the process itself? What was different than past financings that you have been involved in? We were fortunate actually to have a term sheet signed before COVID really took full effect and quarantine happened. But that being said, we were still engaging with investors. Uh, Different investors go through diligence at different speeds and get brought into the mix of the process at different times. So I think for me, having us pivot to being fully remote and trying to continue to engage with investors and make sure that they had what they needed, it just took more effort um, and a, a a little different effort, you know, as I think we talked about at the beginning, you know, doing Zoom calls to make sure we're still seeing each other and making sure that our story is resonating with people and making sure that uh, the questions are getting answered effectively as we're going through specific diligence questions. Um, so I think that was a piece of it. Uh, I think, you know, also as investors were going through that diligence and as COVID Um, was in the forefront of their minds, making sure that they understood our milestones and potentially the impact that COVID could have on those milestones as we, you know, set out to begin a clinical trial. I think making sure that we had the amount of cash we needed to see um, through those milestones was was an important and and just a, a new piece of the story. And so we needed to make sure that we were able to explain how we were going to mitigate that risk as best we could and make sure that the cash would see us through. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that became a, a component of the discussions that obviously wouldn't have been there. And uh, Harith Orly, so who are some of the new investors uh, that, that came aboard and what, uh, what do they bring to the, to the board table, so to speak, or, or the table if they're not on the board, I'm being, I'm being cute. Yeah, so the, the new lead investor uh, is an um, a, a investor out of Taiwan named Taiwania. And we were introduced to them through one of our board members who've had interactions with them in other companies. And they are a relatively new player into the Boston uh, sort of healthcare biotech scene, but really um, strong and committed capital, uh, healthcare focused, life science focused fund. And Michael Huang from Taiwania is joining our board. And he's been a, a wonderful addition, helping to provide a global perspective on Fractal's prospects for uh, growth and development, uh, not only in the United States, but also in Asia, where he and Taiwania have very strong links and where a majority of the type 2 diabetes in the world is actually present. You know, between it, China has more people with prediabetes than it than the US has people period so when you think about where what the future is going to look like in 5 to 10 years there's going to be as much of a problem of type 2 diabetes as in the United States the global 
pandemic of type 2 diabetes is going to be felt most acutely in Asia. And so that was one thing that was, it's important to think about because we are really committed to developing and commercializing Ruvita for the global market of type 2 diabetes. And, and for us to be able to do that, we really wanted to bring in expertise to help us think about that the global problem and the global burden, but also then what that translates to is the global opportunity for Ruvita to be impactful for patients around the world. So you mentioned the FDA earlier in clinical trials real, real quick, because I've taken a lot of your time, but uh, where are you with, uh, with your clinical trials? What, what have you accomplished recently and what's next? And within the answer, if you could, uh, how are your connections with the FDA gone during this, again, these unusual times? <laughs> Absolutely. So we've been really fortunate to have worked super collaboratively and successfully with the FDA and key opinion leaders, both in endocrinology and in gastroenterology, to arrive on an approved pivotal IDE study, which we think is going to allow us to test a very transformative outcome for patients with type 2 diabetes, which is not only improving glucose control, but also eliminating the need for insulin for people who are currently taking insulin every day. And the reason we think that this is really transformative is because most people start on insulin with every expectation that they are going to be on insulin for the rest of their lives. In fact, when people are diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, I can say this as being a physician myself, one of the conversations is that we're going to start you with diet and exercise and we're going to prescribe metformin. Eventually, you're going to need insulin. And we believe that we have the opportunity to, for the very first time, tell a very different story to a patient with type 2 diabetes because we are addressing something that is fundamental to the root cause of the disease. We think there is an opportunity to pull people back off of insulin. And this is a novel endpoint that we, are, we worked on with the FDA, and they were incredibly collaborative. And to answer your question about COVID, to the extent that COVID was happening in the middle of our IDE um, application process, you wouldn't have known it because they were in super responsive and um, incredibly collaborative with us. And so it, COVID didn't impact that aspect of things at all. So now we have an approved IDE. We also have our first IRB approvals. We are working with sites throughout the US and Europe now in order to initiate the study. We have a wonderful group of, um, of key opinion leaders who are helping to not only to help us design, but are also helping to oversee this study and making sure that we execute it well. And COVID presents a different sort of an issue, which is ensuring patient safety, physician safety, and you know, clinician safety through the course of the, of the trial. And so a lot of our emphasis in the last couple of months has been ensuring that everyone stays safe throughout all of this in, in the conduct of the study, which is our first priority, of course. Uh, what does that look like? Are you looking to provide PPE if necessary? And also, are you? I don't know what is required in terms of follow-up after the procedure is done, but are you building in sort of a digital infrastructure to allow for recording of data from home or without going into a doctor's office? 
All of the above. So we are, we've worked very closely with some of the society leaders in endoscopy in order to ensure that we have a set of mitigation procedures in place in order to manage patients through this risk of COVID and ensure that the procedures can be done, but in a safe manner. We have, we're also working collaboratively with the hospitals in order to ensure that their local procedures are being followed for exactly the same purpose. And we're finding that hospitals have are figuring out a way to function through this time. And so we have a little bit of a benefit of the fact that we've been living in this environment now since early March. And so hospitals have had to quickly learn how to adapt to this new environment and function through it. So that's good. From a clinical operations standpoint, I think we're doing what many other people are doing, which is moving as many of the visits to virtual visits as possible. We are digitalizing data collection and consenting for the trial. And um, all of those things are going to minimize the burden on patients and on hospitals during this time, which we think is the right thing to do for, for the, for everybody. Um, And will also help us ensure that we can continue to conduct a highly successful study, collect great data, um, with highest integrity, despite the fact that we're living through Corona right now. Excellent. Well, a few more questions. I was I was foolish to think I could keep this uh, ten minutes because I enjoy the fractal story so much. Uh, you you've la- what is what is the state of your commercial launch in the UK? Has that been a, a, a true commercial launch or just more of kind of a, a test launch? And, and and how well what has it been and how is it going? <laughs> mm-hmm. So earlier this year, you know, we announced a, um, a a really transformative agreement with HCA Hospital Network in order to offer Revita in the UK, um, you know, on a cash pay basis. And we were just getting that started in March when coronavirus spread started to spread through Italy and then broader Europe and then the United States. So in light of the diversion of healthcare resources in the United Kingdom to address coronavirus, we made the decision to put a pause in our commercial activities presently. And so we have not actually um, begun our launch, although we did begin an awareness campaign in London area, and we saw tremendous enthusiasm for pa- from patients for what Revita can offer. And we are con- going to continue to keep these patients close to close as we evaluate our ability to return into the market in the UK and in Europe in general. We're actively working on reimbursement now in both Germany and in the United Kingdom, and we expect our first reimbursement decisions in 2021. We're monitoring um, how hospitals are recovering, and we will be resuming commercial activities when appropriate. Is that a, is that relationship with HCA unusual, or is that a pretty standard uh, as far as for for a med tech of, at your stage? I think HCA would say that it's earlier than they would engage with most companies. I think it's part of what was attractive to them is that to hospital leadership, there isn't really anything that a hospital can offer a patient with type two diabetes that is differentiated today. The standard therapies are generally broadly available and consist of lifestyle interventions and pharmacology. Revita offers a a really patient-friendly alternative to the current standard of care. 
And I think that resonated very much with hospital leadership. That alone wouldn't have been sufficient, but we are also fortunate to have done a lot of clinical trial work in the UK. And so we have physicians whom we have worked with on clinical trials who saw outcomes in patients and had experience with the technology, both on the endocrinology side, looking at the metabolic improvements that patients have had in our earlier studies, but also on the endoscopy side with the transformative nature of the technology and the automated and precise way in which we perform an ablation of the mucosa um, and the safe and safety and tolerability profile that we've enjoyed so far. So I think the advocacy from the physicians within HCA, coupled with the clear benefit that this offers that's differentiated for patients, I think is what allowed us to partner with HCA earlier than one might otherwise expect. Terrific. And f- final question. We've, we've covered so much, so I'm not sure if there's anything left, but looking forward, any any news or any anything you anticipate? We talked about financing, your well-funded IDEs in place, moving forward with that. Anything else we should uh, we should know about from Fractal? Well, we look forward to seeing some early data um, from the training cases in our pivotal trial before the end of 21. And so the big news is that uh, the trial is underway. Sites and physicians are enthusiastic and um, and working hard to help us um, test Revita in our pivotal trial. And uh, the next year is going to be an exciting one. We look forward to uh, getting up and going in 30 centers across the United States and Europe and continuing to um, let people learn more about the science and, and the technology and look forward to what the data are going to show. Excellent. Well, it's been uh, great to, uh, to hear Fractal Story again and to, uh, to, to reconnect with you, Harith, and to meet you, Lisa. Thank you for uh, joining us on the podcast. Thank you. This was really fun. Appreciate it, Tom, and stay safe and enjoy the rest of your summer. Thanks, Tom. All right, and we're back, back here with Chris Newmarker, the namesake for Newmarker's Newsmakers, or double news, as we like to say. Chris, what was the number three most read article, the biggest news on the Mass Device site this week? Uh, number three was that FDA cleared uh, the clear mass transparent surgical mask. And I, this, this could be a very, another you know, useful product you know, for the, you know, may help better managing the pandemic because, of course, you know, the, the idea of this is that because it's transparent, you know, it could uh, allow for you know, more uh, communications between you know, health providers because, of course, you can't see somebody's mouth when you know, they have a mask over their face. So it's also got like a, an anti-fog plastic barrier on it, too. So that could you know, help improve the visual communication as well. So kind of like an interesting product. And it'll be interesting to see if it takes off, uh, you know, more as, you know, the pandemic goes along. Yeah, no, it just, it's so, uh, it's one of these ideas you hear about, you're like, well, duh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And uh, I think certainly it would make masks, if it, if it had broader adoption, it would make them a little less disconcerting uh, to yeah. see someone's whole face. So we'll see where, uh, where this one goes. All right. Now we'll go down to number two. The second biggest piece of news on Mass Device this week was. Well, we got the news that uh, FDA is uh, issuing a uh, you know warning uh, for for labs and healthcare providers around the uh, Thermo Fisher Tac Pack COVID nineteen combo kit. Um, you know the warning is that there could be some uh, false results around it. You know the the two big issues are um, you know appear to be uh, associated with uh, you know interpretive software for the, uh, you know, for the, for the kit. So, you know, it's just another example of, uh, you know, how we're, I mean, it's just, you know, there's still a lot, it, it appears there just still is a lot of work that still needs to be done when it comes to COVID-19 tests. Yeah. Yeah. I know we just, 
We just heard in Massachusetts, the governor is going to uh, make rapid testing available to schools. If two people test positive for COVID, they'll send a team out to test all the students and teachers in the school that they say will be available within 15 minutes. But uh, geez, it's just wow. such a such a crazy need for this right now. It certainly would alleviate a lot of everyone's anxiety. Yeah, especially, I mean, and, you know, too, I just think, uh, I mean, just because I, I myself am well aware of this because I have, you know, children in a daycare school, I can't see how you, you can get things to keep on operating this fall when cold and flu season hits if you don't have some rapid testing so that you can quickly find out, like, you know, is this just a cold or, you yep. know, do you have COVID, you know, and, you know, so... So yeah, just just hoping that we uh, you know like get get more good news like what you're hearing in Massachusetts versus you know something like this Thermo Fisher story where it's like okay great we got you know more problems with false negatives on on tests so it's it is frustrating it is certainly frustrating and and to the cold and flu season not to get too much about this but Massachusetts also announced it's going to require all students to get flu shots this year yeah that sounds like a good. Good idea. Yeah. Like, we already have the coronavirus to deal with. Like we don't need to be uh, dealing with uh, the flu as well as much. Yeah, as much as we have we to. So. problem. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. Well, so we're going to hold off on the number one new marker newsmakers. And I'm regretting coming up with this name because I'm learning it's really hard to say. But I've got an interview. I talked with Renee Ryan, the CEO of Kala Health. Kala had made some, has made some great progress, and we reported it on Mass Device with a, an interesting clinical trial, and they're actually just making some great inroads. Their device is a, is a wrist-worn device that uh, helps reduce tremor. So it's a cool bioelectronic piece of med tech, and uh, Renee is really great to talk to. She had been with J&J and been doing healthcare investing in, in the med tech industry for a long time. So let's hear from Renee Ryan, the CEO of Kala Health. Well, Renee Ryan, welcome back to the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me, Tom. You've got some news. One of your your interview that we did uh, back uh, earlier this year has been one of our more popular. So, uh, thank you for sharing that story. Uh, and now, well, it's all because of you, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt that because I'm on all the podcasts. Some of them do great, like yours. Others do only super good. So let's follow up on, uh, on Kayla. Uh, you've got some news this week. Uh, you talked a bit about, uh, you had a release about your, uh, your trial, your prospect trial results. But for those who haven't yet listened to that earlier podcast or don't know what Kayla is, give us a little update on your company and on the Kayla Trio, your product. Yep, happy to. So um, again, just by way of reference, uh, Kala was founded five years ago uh, as a spin out from the Stanford Biodesign Program. Kate Rosenbluth, our founder, was actually part of that program, had, had come through with this uh, idea of putting uh, neuromodulation therapies in body-worn electronic format. And so uh, we uh, started the company, immediately went into a clinical trial mode. In part of that uh, trajectory, we achieved our 510K de novo approval in 2018. And then in late 2018, we did a post-marketing study. We weren't yet commercial, but we went out and did our prospect study, which is a 263 patients uh, study to study our device at home for three months of chronic use. And recall that our device is a wrist-worn therapy. It is for the treatment of essential tremor in the hands of essential tremor patients mm -hmm. or of, uh, adults with essential Excellent. tremor. Uh, 
The study uh, was done at 26 sites around the U.S., some of the leading academic medical centers. Uh, And the neat part about it was we had two primary endpoints, both of which were um, ratings of, of tremor, both by the clinician and by the patients in looking at their own activities of daily living. And we met statistical significance on both of those major endpoints, but what was also really unique is that we do have um, an incredibly smart device that has onboard sensors that could also do measurements of the kinematic or independent measurements of the kinematic uh, therapy results before and after every stimulation session. So we have like 21,000 data points of therapy results from that study. So what was it like conducting that study during these times? I mean, uh, the study is done at home, so I guess it wasn't that much of a disruption as opposed to someone who has to travel to a, a clinical site. Well, that's how we're, today we're doing our, our, our studies in a virtual care mode. The good news mm-hmm. about Prospect, it was started back in December of 2018. Okay. So after, our, after we had gotten our Genova approval, and then we got another FDA approval in October of 18, which is when we launched the actual sort of post-marketing study. So we did it physical sites, uh, in-person measurements of tremor. Patients came into the office over the course of three months with three three visits uh, throughout the sessions and got rated. Today, we're actually enrolling patients virtually and running studies virtually in this sort of COVID era. Um, so the news, the good news is, is Cala was purpose-built to run virtual care studies. Uh, and uh, though Prospect was not in that mode, we're now deploying it uh, pretty readily in all of our clinical work. So uh, for how long will uh, will Prospect run? When is this something going to continue to uh, collect data on? So interestingly enough, that study was closed out. We enrolled patients. We thought we would take six months to enroll. We actually enrolled our full study in six weeks. So that just speaks to the how much essential tremor is out there, how prominent it is in the community, and what a real need there is for these patients. So that study closed out in early 19, and uh, we then went and launched our product into the in a commercial setting into three uh, soft launch markets in uh, August of last year, which is when I joined as CEO. And uh, what we're doing now is we're actually replicating Prospect through um, a real-world evidence study that we're running with our on-commercial patients. So uh, stay tuned. We actually just submitted an abstract for the Movement Disorder Society meeting in September on our first 80 patients or so in our real-world study. How essential is uh, getting the real-world evidence to uh, to Kala's future? And I apologize for mispronouncing the company's name at the start. No, no, no worries. You know what, Tom? It's really interesting. The The world of real-world evidence, does it's kind of like the Wild West. There aren't a lot of rules today. And uh, so the beauty of what we did, and this is sort of now coming evident to us, is having the ability to have both physician rating, the patient rating. We continue to track our patients Um, satisfaction with the device in terms of their therapy sessions with kind of a thumbs up, thumbs down mode. And then we have the kinematic data. We can pretty readily take independent readings of kinematics of pre and post every therapy session of measuring the tremor amplitude. And we can relate it back to how a patient scored in their activities of daily living or how the physician rated the clinician, you know, gold standard rating of tremor scores. And we can move pretty readily between those two to show benefit. Um, So that's what we're doing in our real world evidence study. We don't have the physician ratings or the patient ratings, um, but we do have kinematics and we do have patient satisfaction scores. So we're able to really draw off of that to now publish uh, what we're seeing in the commercial world. Talk a bit about the commercial launch. What has uh, that experience been like? And again, everything seems to be Covered in, in COVID these days, so uh, hopefully just metaphorically, not actually, but what has that experience been like? Who, who would ever 
decide to not only just launch a product, but actually create a market for a brand new product or you know, channel for a brand new product in the world of COVID. We decided to go commercial in three regions uh, when we first launched and we kept it small. We had a very small field force and luckily we still have that same small field force and field presence today. And we set out some pretty lofty goals for ourselves and what we wanted to achieve in our first year on market. And even with the horrible dip that we saw in March and April um, with literally our patients staying home and our physicians not having open offices, we actually achieved our six, what we determined as our early signals of success within our first nine months. What we wanted to see was we wanted to see penetration of um, the, the neurologists and movement disorder specialists in our three territories. We believed we would achieve about a you know, 2% penetration. The good news is, is we're kind of double those numbers at, in terms of the penetration into the neurologist community. So what it tells us is that doctors are seeing these patients and they're willing to prescribe a medical device, not just a drug, but a new therapy for these patients because it is so safe and it is so easy to prescribe and have a patient get onboarded by CALA. So that's, that's one part of success. The other sort of mission that we set out for ourselves was, could we empower patients? Would patients actually listen to a brand new company, um, uh, you know, a startup company based in Silicon Valley with a brand new technology to see us as a viable alternative to the drugs and surgery that are current options for them in essential tremor? And the answer is yes. So today, we have about half of our business being physician-driven and half of it being patient-driven. And uh, we really like that positioning in the marketplace. And so you'll see us begin to expand our commercial presence later this year and into next. That's exciting. And to, and to help with that expansion, you've added two uh, senior executives, uh, a head of market access and reimbursement, and a vice president of digital. Tell me a bit about what their roles will be, who they are, and again, how do you hire in interview, hire, identify, and hire the right people in this uh, in this world. Yeah, no, it, it's a little crazy. So uh, the good news is, is Bobby Thomas, who is my vice president of digital, joined us actually back at the end of January. Um, he comes with an incredible wealth of doing digital transformation. He knows the payer world. He spent many, many years at uh, Blue Shield of California. Um, he knows the, the device world. He did sort of the digital transformation at Intuitive Surgical. And then most recently was at Navigating Cancer, which is a patient-focused um, empowerment tool for guiding patients through to get the right cancer therapy. So literally couldn't have had a more ideal background for us as we're beginning to uh, launch our patient portal and launch our full digital ecosystem. Obviously, a lot of that is data-driven and really figuring out how do we, how do we communicate this wealth of data about a patient's tremor to the patients or the providers themselves. And so Bobby's been instrumental in that, but he luckily got uh, onboarded and interviewed like a normal hire, uh, unlike Ali. So Ali uh, <laughs> joined uh, in COVID times. His first day was actually on June 1st. Um, and uh, I had one coffee interview of him uh, before the world came to an end. California moved to shelter in place. And so the rest of his interviews were all uh, via Zoom. Um, uh, now, the beautiful thing is he did start in a mode where we were back in the office twice a week. Mm -hmm. So much like me, Ali is in twice a week working hard on upcoming meetings we have with CMS to help us get after our reimbursement opportunity. 
And we were talking about that a little bit before I pushed record. Uh, tell me again how your uh, staff is working. You mentioned that you have them work coming in twice a week. Is it by department or do you have departments split in two? Uh, how did that uh, How did that work out? Yeah, we actually took, um, there's a handful of folks, as you know, who don't need to come to the office, right? We have a whole software firmware part of our business and data science part of our business that, you know, they can work remotely very successfully. And we are encouraging that at least through the end of this year to have our software team, the firmware team, and our data science team remote. If they want to come in, they can. Firmware guys every once in a while need to touch a device, so they're in probably once or twice a month. So that's more of an ad hoc uh, basis. But in our ops and quality and manufacturing, finance, uh, and other, and marketing groups, those folks are generally in um, uh, two days a week. And so we stagger the manufacturing and quality teams to be in either Mondays and Wednesdays or Tuesdays and Fridays. And so um, I feel because, you know, my, my patient, my, uh, my employees are coming into the benefit of our patients um, and putting themselves at risk and not being sheltered in place that I come in on Mondays and Thursdays just to make sure I can see everybody and make sure I can and be around and be a presence. How important was that, that connection, that personal connection? Oh my God, Tom, it's, it is, it is the one thing we are all so starved mm-hmm. for. Uh, we we uh, we have our best attendance for our weekly meeting, which is our weekly happy hour <laughs> on Thursday afternoons. And because I work from the office on Thursdays, I will generally host us in our in our cafeteria. We're all wearing our masks, sitting six feet apart, you know, drinking our beers, you know, our individual served beers. <laughs> We're also starved for just that extra time. And so uh, the team's been great. We hosted a. Uh, a Pictionary game. We've hosted a um, uh, last week was a phraseology hmm. game. Uh, we had a picture and you had to figure out what the saying was. Um, and uh, even after the happy hour is over and the computer is shut down, everyone's still in the cafeteria just catching hmm. up because we're just so hard starved for that human interaction. And you folks have been uh, fortunate in in uh, the COVID department. No. Uh- you know, we have, we've had no exposures. We've had a couple of close mm-hmm. calls. Um, I myself felt I should go get tested. So I got my whole family tested about a month mm-hmm. ago. We're all negative. We're all, we're all taking care of ourselves. Um, but yeah, no, we've been, um, we've been very, even since the earliest of days, we, we figured out how to operate in the way we needed to operate. So um, masks, disinfections, ma- you know, uh, gloves everywhere. Um, isopropyl alcohol to wipe down surfaces. Mm-hmm. Great. And just final question back to uh, Kala. What's next? Uh, you've raised money just before, or just as you came on. Uh, is this something that you need to start to do uh, in 2021? What's, uh, what's your next big step? So next big step for us is two important sort of near-term milestones. Uh, we continue to make improvements to our therapy. And uh, you'll see us come forward with a little bit of a tweaked version. We'll call it the Trio Plus uh, first half of next year. Uh, we are working on CMS reimbursement. Those are active discussions and working hard. The great news is, is, is CMS is incredibly receptive uh, and, and has been a, a nice partner to think about how we could get uh, a device like this properly reimbursed. Now, we haven't necessarily gotten a, a new code yet, um, but we're working hard and the, do- and the door is open with CMS. So we're very pleased about those two near-term activities. And then longer term, uh, we will need to raise money by the end of next year, but obviously we'll be in a much different position with hopefully you know, a stronger commercial footprint below us. Uh, we'll know where we are with reimbursement and maybe even have uh, a, a sort of a next-gen technology into the market. Well, it's great to reconnect with you, Renee, and uh, best of luck. We'll have you again on sometime soon, I hope. Thanks, Tom. Take care. 
All right. Well, it was great to talk with Renee Ryan and get her back on the podcast. We'll certainly hear from her again in the future. Now, you folks have been waiting so patiently. Chris, what was the number one piece of news on Mass Device this week? Yeah, well, the number one new marker newsmaker. <laughs> I always think you could like start something like Peter Piper picked a peck of. You know, <laughs> we, it's like oh. a new 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 thing to like you know, try to like improve your speaking ability. So. <laughs> Thanks for the tongue twister, Tom. But uh, <laughs> the number one new marker newsmaker, uh, you know, we're recording this on Thursday and just out today, breaking news, um, Bayer is uh, settling 90% of Easter claims for $1.6 billion. And we recently had the news that they were uh, setting aside nearly $1.4 billion partially to you know, in preparation for something like this. And, you know, here it is now. They're, you know, uh, they're saying that this is um, set resolving virtually all of the U.S. Easter litigation. But I'm, um, I, I think it's definitely going to be interesting to see, like, really whether how much this, this settles going forward just because it's just been a huge, huge story in the device industry. Um, anyone who's, you know, seen something like, you know, the Netflix documentary Bleeding Edge, they, you know, profiled an, an Easter user in this, you know, then you've got tens of thousands of women who are claiming all kinds of injuries around this birth control device. And I mean, a lot, a lot of anger out there. Um, you can, you can tell out on social media that there's a, there's a huge base of activists, you know, around the problems around this device. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens going forward. But for now, Bayer's like putting up $1.6 billion to, you know, try to settle some of this. Definitely big news. So it would be, yeah. uh, be good for all parties, I think, to, to move forward. And uh, definitely will be uh, something to watch as, according to the, the news release, is still this accounts for 90% of the, of the cases. So we'll see what happens with the remaining 10%, whether there'll be yeah. big news or, or small news. But uh, right. this kind of goes along, too, with this, this trend that we've noticed of, you know, companies increasingly just settling stuff. Sure. I mean, we've seen like lawsuits getting settled. We've seen, you know, major IP truces. Um, it's really just like amid this pandemic and huge recession, companies just don't want, med tech companies just don't want to be added risk of trying to fight out some stuff. And so we're seeing a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of uh, legal peacemaking going on. So yeah, we'll see what else gets settled in, in coming weeks. I'm sure the patient's also probably many need some help at this time and, and need, need some resolution as well to, uh, to what's been a, a, a long ongoing struggle for them. So yeah, anything that, anything that can help them, you know, and, and instead of like having like these things dragging out in courts, like that's exactly. good news. All right. Well, that's it. That's certainly a big number one. It's another uh, great week of new markers, newsmakers, <laughs> hashtag new markers newsmakers uh we gave our social media tags at the top so we won't do it now we'll just wrap up and say uh thanks for uh, joining us on this week's uh device talks weekly podcast once again if you could share this podcast so others will find it if they're not already listening if you could leave a ranking or a comment on whatever device you're using or whatever podcast platform you're using to listen to this that would be extraordinarily helpful extraordinarily helpful it does actually help other people find the podcast will come up more on searches and such so we'd love to uh, love to be found by more people and uh, of course tell your friends let everyone know that uh, you found this really cool podcast with two goofball guys who uh, enjoy talking about medtech and uh, we'd love to have them as part of the ride as well don't forget we'll uh, announce more details but we'd love to have a zoom call with y'all in uh, in the month of september so uh, stay tuned for details uh, glad to have you back from the cabin in the woods chris hey good to be back take care everybody